If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to New York playground legend and NBA veteran Kenny Anderson about his love of cigars. And we will get serious with him and talk about his tumultuous life, his experience being sexually abused as a child, a topic that is super relevant in today's climate, and how he's using a new documentary to actually tell the story of his life's up and downs in a way that he hopes will influence other people with similar problems to come forward. It's a great discussion. I had a great time talking to Kenny, even though it was tough subject matter, and I hope you stick around for it. Also, we're going to have some fun on the show, break down uh, the R&B stylings of Victor Oladipo, give you some distractions, and so much more. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I'm a sports marketer, not in Chicago tonight. I'm in Boston, Garrett's old stomping grounds, and uh, we'll get to Gareth in a second. I'm going to intro <laughs> another gentleman first. He is a respected and feared sports PR professional who is long time with the University of Colorado, Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Allard. Adam, heard you locked yourself out of your apartment five minutes ago and had to go beg for someone to let you in. Apartment living, my friend. I ran downstairs to get battery because you insisted we buy this fancy equipment. Um, ran downstairs to grab some batteries from the 7-Eleven attached to my building and realized I left my keys upstairs. So when you walk in that 7-Eleven, are they like, sir, the usual 20 pack of condoms and a thing of, uh, of Mount Everest malt liquor? <laughs> uh, occasionally on a Friday, it has been a fifth of Jack Daniels, but no malt liquor, my friend. <laughs> That's like me too, only it's a Monday and it's a handle. Um, also with us, in New York, facing some, Gareth, it, should we even call this a health crisis? It's our seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer, Gareth Hughes. Gareth, please describe to our listeners what your affliction is. Uh, shout out to the Around the NFL podcast who I've mentioned here before. They've talked a lot this year about Chris Wessling facing down the big C and Dan Hans is facing down the little C of a cold. I'm facing down the medium S, which is shingles. I have shingles. Terry Bradshaw, tell me what I should do about this. Man, that's not a medium S. That's a big S, man. Shingles is terrible. Have you had it? No, I just heard other people tell me it's terrible, and I know enough to get yeah, get chicken pox I, as a kid. Did you ever have chicken pox? I did have chicken pox as a kid. I had... I had something on my face. Like, look, I'm not a guy who will ever be mistaken as having good skin. Um, and last week I went to the doctor with this like thing on my face and they were like, oh, I think it's like a zit that got infected. Here's some antibiotics. And after a few days, it wasn't looking any better. And my wife 
It was funny. We were in like kind of a fight and I was like, I think I might have to go back and see a doctor. She's like, yeah, that thing looks worse. Like, but she wasn't very like, I love, we, you know, Amy, I love you. That was a great moment of, yeah, that thing looks worse. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I went, it was actually, I was at ballet and one of the moms who's in ballet class who I'm friends with is a dermatologist. So I basically said, Hey, what is this thing? She was like, Oh yeah, I think you have shingles. She didn't hesitate. And then she was like, are your lymph nodes swollen? And they all were, we went to a doctor sure enough. And did you know that shingles is a sister virus to herpes? And so it is treated with Valtrex. Hmm. I, I didn't know that, but I, I do know that when they were filming the original season of the Jersey shore, Valtrex was the most requested product. <laughs> really? Allegedly. Also, just not sports is worth <laughs> zero money. So go ahead and sue us situation. It's fine. Oh yeah. He's not right. listening to this. This is way too high, bro. <laughs> All right. Well, as much as I want to keep, as much as germaphobe Brad wants to keep talking about Garrett's skin ailments while I'm on the <laughs> East coast yeah. and have locked my windows, uh, right. We're going to take the show open to the show and make it wide open. Anything in the sports world, fair game guys. I'm going first because for a future pod, I talked to Natalie Weiner, who is a reporter. She's covered music for billboard. She writes a lot about jazz. We actually talked about jazz with her because she now works for bleacher report, huge Seahawks fan. I had a great discussion with it. You'll hear in a future episode, uh, just a couple days ago. And in prepping for it, I, I, I noticed she's profiled. Victor Oladipo, Pacers guard, who is not only having a huge comeback season, but he has released a album of R&B. Is it too soon to call them classics? Because I'm going to go ahead and jump straight to classics. And I have a lot of thoughts on that. So I wanted to break it down for the group. And I got to start with Adam Millard. Adam, first of all, my first question for you is this. I'm not a big R&B guy. You are. Give us like I am. a quick history lesson, like a rundown of like the best all-time meets oh. contemporary R&B in like 30 seconds or less. Just give us the elevator speech. I'm just going to give you my top two, Stevie Wonder and D'Angelo. Huh. I like those answers. Those are good. Is Stevie, no, you can go is Stevie to Wonder really R&B? That's a good question, and that's what I was going to say about 80s music, because Whitney Houston, I'd like to call her an R&B singer, but she's not really. Uh, she's, I would consider her a pop singer, but Songs in the Key of Life, to me, is an R&B album, one of the greatest albums of all time. And then D'Angelo, who has only done three albums in 20 years, but Voodoo, it's probably my favorite album of any genre of all time. The technical stuff might be a little off on uh, in my in my Boston setup tonight since I'm remote, but I'm gonna go ahead and, and play D'Angelo sure. real quick. I want some of your brown sugar, sugar. Yeah. Did I get it? Did I nail no. it, Adam? No. <laughs> uh, that is brown sugar. That's brown sugar from the first album, also titled Brown Sugar, but. Not by not in his top ten best songs, in my opinion. <laughs> I have a hot take, by the way, on Stevie Wonder. Eighties Stevie Wonder better than seventies Stevie Wonder. Gareth, go. 
<laughs> no, dude, <laughs> what? Come on, Part Time Lover is Stevie Brad, Wonder's best ugh. song. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm defiantly, and I'm not joking. It's his best song. <laughs> as you, as he cackles, Brad, we know you're obsessed with the '80s, so you're, you're biased <laughs> towards that song. But you are. You have never been so wrong on this podcast. Yeah, I'm like an American psycho uh, version of the 80s when it comes to pop culture. All right, look, I want to get back to, I want to wind it back to Victor Oladipo, who is having a great season. It's one of the best comeback stories of the year. I think he's going to be a front runner for most improved and or uh, comeback player of the year. I mean, he's got, it's a season of comebacks in the the NBA with uh, the, you know, the unicorn and, 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 you know, everybody playing really well. But not everybody's releasing slick R&B tunes. I'm feeling what Victor is selling. Adam, I mean, were you, like, how excited were you to, like, discover this and to put it at the front of your iTunes playlist? I thought it was a great song. I did not know that it was a cover until I read a little more that it was a cover of Donny Hathaway's 1971 song. Oh, you're talking about the song, Song for You. Places in my life and time. Sung a lot of songs. I made some bad rhymes. I've acted out my life in stages with 10,000 people watching. We're alone now, and I'm singing this song to you. A song for you, yeah. So you did. You did uh, not that's explore the, only the entire EP <laughs> or buy it on iTunes because I bought like seven songs. Oh no, no, I didn't know. I just listened to a song for you, which I thought was uh, a great cover. He's he, Victor has. Uh, I don't want to say a surprising amount of vocal range, but I was surprised at how polished he was. When we talk about athlete music. Uh, a lot of guys are trying to find their sound, even in vocal quality. And it sounds like Victor has it locked down. I looked up the stats uh, for this year and Victor Oladipo is averaging 1.4 steals per game. That's going up about a 10th of a point because he has stolen the song from Donny Hathaway, <laughs> a man who I've never heard of before and will never hear of again because, Hey, Donny, Victor took song for you and made it. Is case closed. It's interesting you say that. Um, Donny Hathaway, God rest his soul. Uh, in a preview of our next segment or our distraction segment, I should say, uh, I will not be mentioning this album, but Donny Hathaway Live is my favorite soul album ever recorded. And in a tragic twi- uh, twist on his story, he was a great Chicago soul singer in the late sixties, early seventies. And he suffered from schizophrenia and jumped out a window and killed himself. So yeah, that's your Donny Hathaway nugget for this episode. My only Another reaction- uplifting nugget from Gareth. Yeah. Thanks, Gareth. I mean, first shingles and then that Gareth, I mean, okay. So let's stick with song for you for now, but then I'll, I'll take you guys to school on the rest of his uh, musical canon. The video, did, um, did you watch the video on YouTube, Adam? 
I watched the link you sent me, which I think was just the single. Yeah, so he's wearing a fedora, a black fedora over one eye. What's better, wearing a hat cocked to one side that covers one eye or going full eye patch? Because I might have gone eye patch here. Uh, (laughs) I don't even know how to answer this. Uh, I'm going to say in staying in tune with the R&B singers of the 90s, I got to go with the fedora covering the eye. Feels very genuine 1999 to me. Yeah, and he looks look look. He looks good in the he looks good in the hat. He sings good. Gareth, you're a big fan of soul R and B. In fact, Gareth, your entire wedding that you 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 know your wedding you DJed yourself on vinyl with mostly that music. Like, what did you think of his of his talent? I actually thought. Well, I didn't DJ the whole wedding. I just DJ. I did a small set. If I DJed the whole wedding, I all I would not be married now. I wouldn't have a wife to tell me that thing on your face is getting worse. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I think what comes down to for a lot of these things, I think Victor Oladipo has good taste. Like, I love Donny Hathaway. He picked a good song. I think the look is cool and it fits an R&B singer. You know, like mm-hmm. the hat, the dramatically covering the eyes, the whole thing. Like, he's not... He's not doing like an NBA knockoff of it. He's doing like a legit soul singer and he's done the homework and knows what that represents. And I think he did a great job of it. And here's what I like about this experiment or this distraction of his in general, unless you are an established R and B artist from uh, the early two thousands, I think there's very little market for R and B. So this isn't something that he's trying to do to get broad exposure. Um, the the bills are paid through his day job, but he clearly has a passion for the music, and that's why he put the album together. And I guess I, I really appreciate that because you don't hear, I mean, what's the last great new R&B you heard? You could argue that there's artists like Miguel and um, The Weeknd who are selling albums, but I'd almost I defined their musical stylings a lot different than classic R and B. And so I, I appreciate him not doing something cause it's on trend, but doing something cause he really loves it. The dream was like the last R and B singer I remember hearing about in a major, major way. I mean, Usher's still around making albums, boys to men still around making albums, but it's just They're not making getting Geico radio. commercials. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think I think the genre, as we see with all kinds of music, will make a comeback at some point, and there will be a market for it. But he didn't do it for that reason. All right, you mentioned on trend. He's got another song called "Rope a Dope" featuring Two Chains. It's a response to Trump's uh-huh. comments about the national anthem protest. Let's take a listen to it right now. It's oh. pre- it's pretty amazing. Look at me, I'm number one. And look at you, you made a champion, yeah, yeah. So wave your flags, you don't want no smoke. Cause everything you got still won't come close. I came into this world with my back against the ropes. So watch this footwork, it's the rope rock. Congratulations on one knee. Shoes crocodile dundee. A tie on the highest level. Go to war with a giant belt. 
I'm going to read you a line, a lyric from the song. So wave your flags. Okay. You don't want no smoke because everything you got still won't come close. I came into this world with my back against the ropes. So watch this footwork. It's the rope of dope. Is this the greatest protest song ever written? I say yes, of course. <laughs> back me up, guys. Okay, then yeah, I'll go for that. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, because the Rolling Stones sure. when they wrote "Paint It Black" were not averaging twenty three points in the in the nineteen sixties or seventies NBA. They're averaging twenty three something tonight, but not points. Yeah, right, not points, not points. I mean, look, joking aside, if, like if, if only they had, if only they had Valtrex back then. I think he's a really talented <laughs> singer. I think he needs singles. to get. I think he needs to get with the right producers to like further him along in a way that really becomes ownable. And I also, his song Unfollow has one of my favorite lyrics ever, which is just, the chorus is just, you deserve an unfollow, unfollow right now. Victor nailed our social media culture with a timely critique that is both parody and homage. I'm all in on so do I have VO. To, do I have to? Do I have to take back the whole thing I just said about on trend? Because it sounds like he's talking about Trump and social media. <laughs> you know what? More power to him then. More power to him. All right, Victor, keep it up. Amazing work. Uh, I have reached out to the Pacers to get him on the show. Uh, I'm guessing their email is down. No response in the first few days after my email. <laughs> Gareth, you've got shingles before you die. Take us to your wide open. We've talked a lot recently. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull back the curtain for everybody. We've talked a lot recently with Just Not Sports. The fact that we're a, we're a weekly show and with the speed of the news cycle going as quickly as it is, how do we cover current events and how do we cover issues? And these are things that have come up and, you know, we've had to scrap some segments that we've recorded. You'll never hear them. You'll never hear them because of things that have occurred in the news between the time we record and the time that an episode airs. So, I want to I want to preface what I'm going to say with that because I want to be really careful about how we approach the news and breaking news and current events because there might be a lot of changes to this story between the time I bring it up and the time it airs, but I think this story is important enough to take that risk, especially with some of the things we've been discussing in the history of Just Not Sports. It's a it's a major topic, and when I say that, I mean I want to discuss the recent news from this past weekend on Saturday, the Stefan Marbury got into an altercation with Jimmer Fredette in the Chinese basketball league. Are you guys yes. aware of this? Yeah. Jimmy dropped 50 on him and they got into yes. a scuffle. Uh, yes. But guys, afterwards, spoiler alert, I'm team fucking Starberry. All right. <laughs> Jimmer needs to pipe, pipe down kid. 
Pipe down. That's a legend. That's Ali on the ropes against Larry Holmes. Show some respect. Well, Jimmer is, is, is having a Kobe-like streak in China. I think he's got, what, six games with 50-plus points? Something like that? I don't know. Yeah, Might have to switch. Yes. So Jimmer Fredette is now playing, um, let's see, for the Shanghai Sharks. Uh, Stefan Marbury is now on to the Beijing Beikong Fly Dragons. Um, yes, he, he's on a roll. He, and the night in question, Jimmer scored 54 points and a triple double to lead the sharks to victory in the third quarter, though, Marbury blocked a layup and they got into an altercation Marbury, who came up with all of four points and four assists in the loss, but per ESPN and Deadspin, here is what Marbury had to say afterward about their altercation. And his decision not to fight Jimmer Fredette. Quote, getting suspended for the season wasn't worth letting him feel the real power. So I settled with a <laughs> hug and a good game after the game. All is well. I'll see him in Beijing. So I don't know. We might have to cut that. But I felt like with Kenny Anderson, another playground New York legend being on the show. And we just talked about Marbury's movie. It felt appropriate to risk discussing breaking news and bring that up, Brad. Yeah. Okay. I have a couple of thoughts. I got to j- get on my chest real quick. Number one, when you refer to Stefan Marbury in this show, you refer to him as acting, walking masterclass, Stefan fucking Marbury, <laughs> because that guy could cry on camera. Stefan Starberry. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or Starberry, his real legal name, but he cried on camera twice in the Marbury movie. One while he was actually acting and showing remorse. The other one was on that YouTube video they brought in where he's eating the Vaseline and crying for some reason that we're still a little unclear about. But you know what? I'm sure he was just rehearsing. Oh, wait. There's a third when he saw the box office totals in the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? You know what, Adam? Adam, uh, I've started a GoFundMe page for Marbury's uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Oscar for your consideration campaign, and I would appreciate if YouTube owners would actually uh, <laughs> contribute to it. Uh, look, look. Oh, sure. Here's my thing about Stefan. Hey, Jimmer, don't you believe that after all this time in China, Stefan has probably unlocked powers akin to the bad guy in Mortal Kombat. Like, don't you think that at some point, if he says, I'm going to bring the real power to you, that he means he's going to unfurl as a series of dark clouds in the horizon and just become a super being who can summon like Goro or Sub-Zero or all of these people? Because I believe Stefan Marbury is now capable of that. And I think Jimmer really escaped true peril uh, because Starberry decided he did not want to go there. Thanks. Thanks, Gareth. Um, Brad, in almost a hundred episodes, we have talked about uh, the harassment of female sports reporters. We've talked about uh, police brutality, um, child abuse, a variety of very difficult uh, topics, and this is the first time I've heard you drop the f bomb in anger. I will not have <laughs> Stefan Marbury, our our finest, uh, our finest actor, 
you know, uh, given this much guff from a white Mormon kid who couldn't make it with the Knicks. You know who did make it with the Knicks and had the best career the Knicks have ever seen? Stefan Marbury did. <laughs> Stefan Marbury did. <laughs> and that's backed up by historical fact. And the only reason that he left the Knicks was because they allowed his father to die on the court. According to the Stefan Marbury bio picture, which I assume is entirely factual, accurate, and I have not had time to Snopes. Guys, have you been listening to Just Not Sports? Yeah, it was good for the first couple seasons. Then it kind of devolved into a Stefan Marbury conspiracy <laughs> theory podcast. I don't know, man. Let me know if they move on to something else. It's like when the the younger millennials in my office ask what we talked about last time, and I told them the Stefan Marbury movie. I usually just walk away because that's where the conversation ends. <laughs> All right. I want to end wide open right now with a question for Adam. Let's play everyone's favorite game. Does that make me racist? Uh, tonight, we're taping this in a night where Peter Vesey, NBA legendary Hall of Fame uh, Hall of Fame writer, was talking about the, the altercation on the court between LeBron and Cantor, Enos Cantor. Adam, here's his tweet. Like, Cantor is going to is gonna to be intimidated by LeBron, guy who stood up to tie up Erod, uh, Erdogan. Imagine him being scared of a N apostrophe, 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 who breathes the same air as him. Now, Twitter was quick to point out this is a biggie lyric, but Adam, yep. can a white guy quote biggie with N asterisks, clearly referring to the N word, yes or no, does that make me racist? Well, two things. So a technicality, but it makes a bit of a difference to me. He spells it according to the asterisks, correct me if I'm wrong, N-I-G-G-E-R, based on the number of asterisks. Yes, he did. That's a big big one. (laughs) N-I-G-G-A. Um, so I'm going to say regardless, yes, that makes him racist or at least clueless. Here's the thing I have. Here's the problem I have with written communication. Sure. You might say something in anger, um, in the written word that gets you in trouble and you didn't think about it, but this was clearly an attempt at humor or cultural relevance. He had time to write this tweet, look at it, and still thought that was appropriate <laughs> to hit send on. I have a that's kind of where I have the problem. Like you didn't have enough restraint to take a pause for a second and think, "Hey, maybe this could be misinterpreted." Even if it even even if it is a notorious big uh, reference, maybe this could be taken the wrong way, and maybe I better count my number of asterisks next time. Yeah, Adam, he had a chance to 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 follow up here. There, a guy said. Never thought I would cringe at someone quoting B.I.G. Word up, Pete. And Peter Vesey replied, your problem, not mine. That, my friend, is doubling down. (laughs) (laughs) Double. That is splitting some aces at the table. Pete, it's about to be your problem, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I have a a funny story about Peter Vesey. at his Hall of Fame induction, it was I was there because it was Michael Jordan's. We were doing some work with uh, a brand that was working with Jordan at the time. And so we're at the banquet the night before the ceremony. And everyone's there. You know, Barkley, 
Pat Riley, they're all mulling around. Vessi gets up, he gives a speech. It's going on for about 15, 20 minutes. No one, no one is paying attention. And the table in front of me is like, let's end this. Let's just get this ended. So he finishes a line, but he clearly has a lot more to go. And they all just started clapping and standing up like that was the end of his speech. And then everyone else stood up and clapped. And that was the end of, you know, that was just, they all just treated it like it was the end of the speech. And Vessi kind of like was confused and then was saying, uh, I think I'll try to keep going. But everyone just kept clapping, prodded by that one table. And he just had to end it. I think he's the first guy ever to get applauded off of his actual Hall of Fame speech. And I know that feeling because Gareth and I got applauded off our speech winning best one-act play at the Talawanda High School Drama Awards <laughs> by my girlfriend at the time who was sick of us talking. Wow. Because uh, we were quoting wow. highly, highly Selassie. Uh, yeah, to be fair, Adam, that speech also might be a valid entry into Does This Make Me Racist? So. Yeah. The 90s were a complicated time, everyone. I have an idea. Let's just close wide open. It's over. Let's just move on. Okay? All right. Right now, we're going to go to an interview with NBA legend Kenny Anderson. It's a really cool uh, cool discussion. Pretty expansive. We, t- we start by talking about his love of cigars. He's starting a new cigar club, My Guy Cigar Club. We, we talk about why it's my guy. And if you've ever tweeted, Kenny, uh, you know it's my guy because that's what he replies to you with, my guy. Um, you know, he talks about the brands he loves, how he got into it, why he smokes, where he smokes, how he uses it to socialize with people. It's pretty cool. But then we get a little bit more. I mean, Kenny Kenny has a new documentary coming out called Mr. Chibs. It's about his life. And the the tagline of it is basketball is easy, life is hard. Kenny is very much coming out as a cautionary tale in the NBA and trying to reconcile a history that involves sexual abuse as a child, a history that involves a lots of questionable decisions in his early part of his pro career. And what he's trying to do now as an adult man, uh, reconciling with his kids and figuring out how to move forward from here. So I think you'll find it a very fascinating discussion. We love Kenny on this show. And uh, after that, we'll be back to distract you with our distractions. Stick around. Let me start with the cigar stuff because I I think this is a lot of fun. Um, yeah. And I've noticed on on Twitter, it seems like you were a pr- a pretty strong cigar aficionado. Um, a little bit. How did you How did you get into it? Well, you know, basically, I've been smoking since 1997 when I got with the Boston so when I was with the Celtics for five years from 97 to 2002. Um, met a good friend of mine, Brandon. His mother and father owned Cigar Masters that was on Newberry Street in Boston. And uh, he introduced me to cigars and uh, Padron. Padron cigars are my favorite. And that's one of the first cigars. And that's unusual because it's a strong cigar. Mm-hmm. And he he introduced me to that cigar. And um, my taste for wine, I stopped drinking beer for a while. And and, and liquor. I stopped drinking liquor. I, and I started just getting wine and cigars. And that was like my hangout spot for years, man, three, four years. And it just, it relaxed me. And not only 
you know, smoking cigars. That's why I love going to different um, cigar lounges. And that's surrounded by my guy's cigar club. That's what it's, the name of my club is going to be. And it's and it's about to drop um, next week. I have my website and everything up and I'll be making trips all over to different cities um, doing events in those, in those cigar lounges. And then, you know, what represent with uh, uh, distributors of other cigars and things like that of companies, you know, just uh, yeah. um, so it's going to be silent auction. Some of my um, celebrity friends will be uh, stopping by. So it's like a mixture. It'll be like a mixture of networking event on all these different events. I'm selling some of my merchandise from my club. You know, we'll be having, we have t-shirts, polo shirts, hats, different things like the giveaways, all type things like that. So it's a smoke of cigars is a, is a lifestyle of mine. And it's something that just get takes me away. You know what I'm thinking? I sit there, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's not about going to a crowded, Cigar lounge. I like going, you know, a quiet spot, get my little corner. You know, some of these cigar lounges have TVs now. So I watch the games, whatever. And then I just think, you know, to myself and, and then think about my next move and think about all the things that, you know, uh, that I've been that I went through in my life. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a uh, like I said, it's a lifestyle, you know, smoking cigars. And um, I learn something new every day about them. You know, you just got to you know, cigar edit, edit, see, um you got, you got to learn, man. I got guys yeah. that's been smoking for 20, 30 years, uh, different type of rapper, you know, raps you like, uh, you know, I like Maduro, you know what I mean? Uh, Maduro is a strong full body cigar. I like them strong, you mm-hmm. know, and I, but I also, you know, the Connecticut, the Connecticut rapper is a little more lighter, you know, version, you know, what morning you, a lot of guys smoke, they got their smoke, uh, cigar smoke in the morning with a cup of coffee. You know, that's usually a light cigar. Yeah. You know, and then in the evening or whatever, you if you want to, you know, drink some wine, um, or cognac. Some guys see I can't do cigars and liquor. I don't do that. Some guys do the cognac, the bourbon, the scotch. Mm-hmm. I can't. I don't do that. You know, I, I kind of <laughs> mellow. I mellow it out on the on the drinks, like just <laughs> wine, wine and champagne. Yeah, but it's still it's still it's still heavy because I the the, the the strong cigars. <laughs> Tell me about what's the art. Uh, you've already mentioned a few of the uh, ways that you choose a cigar in terms of the the wrapper. What are the things that influence uh, just the experience? And, and and what do you what do you tell people is the is the key to finding a really good cigar? Because I think that there's an art to picking out yeah. something that that's really fine. Yeah, you gotta you got everybody got a different palate. So you you know you gotta you gotta take the the the, the strong. It's mild, strong, medium. And you got to test different. You got to be, you, you can't be a creature of habit with cigars. Mm-hmm. You got to, especially if you just start now, but if you just start now, you, you must, you know, start with a light cigar. Cause a lot of guys, you know, my, a lot of my friends wanted to be, you know, just uh, some guys think it's cool. Just a fad and want to smoke a, a strong <laughs> cigar and throw up all their food. You know, I had a couple of friends that do that. They was like, wow, this stuff is strong. You know, they didn't, you know, know, but, um, it's different, man. You just got to, like I said, everybody palate is different. Everybody mood swings different. So you got to just keep trying different cigars and then you'll find that one that really suits you. 
the Cuban cigar, you know, everyone yeah. talks about the difference that it makes. Mm. And, and especially these days, because there's all this talk about whether we're going to regulate the industries mm. uh, and trade down there. Is, is that a myth or is there a real difference, a real, a real, uh, uh, you know, I guess elevated stature of the Cuban I think cigar. A, I think someone's is an elevated stature and they get, you know, they get you to beat you for more money or whatever. And then some <laughs> of them, some of these guys are scheming and scamming. So you gotta be careful of uh, Cuban because you just do the they do the bands, they do the bands, the labels on the cigars, and they could just make up anything and put it on there. And you think you have some Cubans, but you really don't, you know. Um, so you, you gotta be careful, you know what I mean? But um, me, I, I can care less. I, you know, I've had Cubans, you know, I had you know strong cigars. It, it really doesn't matter. I'm 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 kind of, you know, a creature of habit. I go to my my go to cigars, Padrones. Uh, Oliva, you know, I like some of Rocky Patel, uh, Rocky Patel. I like, um, uh, Fuentes, you know, the Opus X is one of my top dog cigars. Well, you know, so, you know, I like Alex Bradley, you know, he's a good friend of mine. Ruben, he owns the company, you know, he lives out here in Florida and, um, we know each other. So I like his cigars. So, you know, I dip and dab in a bunch of, you know, um, different cigars, but, you know, I do have my favorite. Yeah, what about what are some brands or some some varieties that you think are? I mean, the experts like yourself would know and find, but the yeah. average person just you know mm-hmm. they may never heard of. Like, what are some surprising or or I guess uh, some secret <laughs> some secret brands that you you like to go to? Uh, I, I like the uh, the CAO. You know, a good friend of mine. You know, CAO. They got the Italian. They got the uh, the uh, the Bra- the Bra- Brazilian, the American. The American is different. That's the different uh, titles of their cigars. CAO, which was pretty surprising for me. I just started smoking them. I just got put on from my ex teammate uh, Walter McCarthy, who's assistant coach with the Celtics, who's big with like just like me with cigars. Um, you know, those those are good. You know, um. There's different ones. Oliva, uh, Olivo Five. Um, uh, my father's cigars are very good. That's a go-to. My father's cigars, the Judge. They have one called the Judge. That's uh, that's awesome. I just dabble, you know, in, in all cigars. But like I said, I have my go-to ones yeah. when I'm really, really want to smoke a good cigar. What? Uh- What's your stance on uh, on black and milds, my friend? Because like growing up, <laughs> nah, man, I ain't growing up, up that. that's all we did. And I <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wasn't. I, I didn't go. <laughs> I'm not rolling. You know, I didn't roll with those. You know what I mean? Because I didn't smoke. I didn't smoke cigarettes. I didn't smoke. You know, uh, I never. And this is true. I never tried smoking weed. And when I was 14, I didn't like how it made me feel. So I didn't. You know, I didn't. I didn't do dry. I didn't like weed. So I didn't go there. And, um, I just started drinking beer when I went to college, my freshman mm-hmm. year. And that's how I got introduced. And I was a drinker, but, um, you know, I, I never was a black and miles guy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, explain to me how the, my guy cigar club is going to work. And, and, and where did you land on, on the name? Because I, I, I love it. I, I like yeah, I, you, you, you say my guy to a lot of people online <laughs> and going you go. back and forth. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Everybody knows me. It's a substitute word for the N word. You know, I, I, I got that, you know, I started saying that because I got tired of using that N word and I know my people being African-American, we glorify it, you know, and I've done it when I was young. So I just wanted to get away from it somewhat because I try to raise my, my, my son and my daughter, you know, not to use it, you know, but I know when they were on their friends, they probably, so I call everybody, my guy, my guy, my guy, 
So everybody's is, is, is like, that's Kenny. You know, they know that I'm coming. They know when I say my guy, <laughs> what it means. And I'm into cigars. So I, me and my partner, Bobby Park out of Tampa, we, you know, we, we said, Hey, let's, let's do this club together, but we're going to do it on a high end. We're going to start small, which it is very small right now. We got a member. We want members. My website goes up next week, probably Tuesday. Um, my guy, um, uh, cigar club, it goes up and we're going to have members. The first, the first year, just members, uh, $50 membership. That's it. You get two cigars, you get, you get merchandise. And you get a, a picture of me, different memorabilia. I'll be coming out to some of my mil, uh, my members. We're going to get giveaways. We're going to do events, you know, with my members. Uh, it's it's going to be sports connected with cigars. So it's going to be really big. You know what I'm saying? And it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get there. But right mm-hmm. now, I want it to be real small and real quaint. And I just want to build it because it's a passion of mine, you know. Not only smoking cigars, but interacting with my fans interacting with people you get to know a lot of people a lot of things um you just learn a lot of things about it and that's what is another thing about going into a, a cigar lounge you meet all type of people mm-hmm. uh all races all all, all 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 professionalism people doctors lawyers dentists just everybody man and it's uh and it's uh it's a it's a big thing about a plug about connecting with people in, in different walks of life so let me transition because, you, you know, um, yeah. I want to talk about the documentary, uh, yeah. you know, Mr. Chibs. It, it got great buzz at the fe- on the yeah. festival circuit earlier this yeah. year. And I guess I want to know um, from your perspective, it takes a lot to open mm. your life up to yeah. cameras. Uh, yes. How how was the thought process for you when you were first approached by um, by the filmmakers? Like, w- What was it like for you to agree to sort of become vulnerable and, and open up, you know, your, your own personal life and your day to day, uh, and your, and your just a, you know, really, really interesting and, and, and complex backstory to an audience like this. How did, how did you finally embrace the idea of putting yourself out there? Well, first of all, I, my mama passed away in 2005. Mm-hmm. I don't know if she was here. I don't know if I would have done the doc. You know, I sat there, you know, talked about it with my wife. And she's like, if you're going to do it, you need to be honest and be raw. And then, you know, I sat on it for about a month and a half. I wasn't going to do it. But then I just saw how the world was going, man. And a lot of these, a lot of kids hurting, you know, um, different reasons. Um, I had came out on there for about three, four years before, two, three years before my doc that, you know, I've been molested and abused, um, you know, as a child. And um, I just kept seeing stuff on the news and, this kid getting molested, this kid getting raped. And I'm like, wow, man, I, you know, I got to do something. What can I do? And, um, I just thought about, you know, being that voice because of my platform being, you know, the number one recruit in 1989, playing in the NBA for 14 years and being an all-star and having money and having everybody so-called this great life. Let me come out and sacrifice myself to help somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I had to do. I had to do it. You know what I mean? And, you know, it was just about helping. I had to just give, you know, sometimes you got to do something that's bigger than you. You know what I'm saying? To be a part of something that's bigger than you and or do something, stand for something that's going to help others. And that's uh, how I felt about it. And um, it wasn't easy. It's not easy, but I think it's worth it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean the tagline of the of the movie is is you know basketball is easy, life yeah. is hard. Yeah, is that my, yeah. is that the way that you felt? Was basketball always sort of you know yeah. the 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 escape, especially growing up and like you said, uh, you know d- dealing with sexual abuse, being around um, you know people that were fighting drug addiction. Yeah. How did you how did basketball sort of pull you away from that? Yet how do you how did you still compartmentalize all the different challenges you were facing as a child? I, I don't know. I was blessed, man. I was put into some good people's hands. Um, Jack Curran, my, my my high school coach Vincent Smith, who was my mentor. Um, that was a slogan for me, man. Basketball, my whole life has been easy. I was blessed to play basketball. You know what I mean? I met my mentor and then he even taught me about my work ethic, but basketball was so easy. When I retired, life got hard, different things got hard. I was like, wow, this is a great slogan for my documentary because I lived that, you know, with that slogan. So basketball has been easy for me, but life has been hard and I, and I don't run away from it. And I tell my wife, I told my kids, we have to, you know, sometimes all of us have to embrace the struggle. You know, you have to go through adversity to, for something part of your life to to to, to see how you will respond. It, 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 it makes us all better people at in the end. Experience is the best teacher. You know what I mean? Every everybody will be there for you. If it's sunny, if it's when it's sunny and warm and beautiful, everybody. That's 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 normal. <laughs> but when <laughs> things when things are storm and star rain, people don't like that. You know, oh man, yeah. I thought we was, I thought, I, I thought you had this. I thought, oh, I'm gone, man. No, nobody likes to deal with, nobody likes to be uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it was great, you know, being shadowed for four or five years. Jill Campbell, my director, did a hell of a job putting the storyline together. We, you know, um, Barry Greenstein, um, who really, uh, he, he invested and in he put his money in it. So I got to give him, a, you know, a lot of love. Um, but, um, it wasn't easy, but it was, I think it was uh, a blessing for me to do this. So some of these young kids and even some adults, you know, some of some, some guys came up to me during the festivals, you know, they holding in 40, 45, 50 years of molest, being molested and abused. And they said, mm-hmm. wow, I, I, we couldn't thank you for doing this, you know? So it's, yeah. uh, it helped, you know? You know, you, you've talked about the challenges you faced growing up. Um, you also, I, I've read some articles with you where you talk about your time in the NBA as being just pure chaos. What did you yeah. mean by that? Uh, the, the off court, the off court thing, the three, four hours on the court was awesome. But just the more money, the more problems and more leash, you more, you know, more people that you don't know who you could trust with your money, the more, um, hanger on it just you know more women you know with my case it was women because of my i think because of time i got you know my molestation or abuse i look you know i was like a womanizer wasn't nothing Mm -hmm. you know that's just i felt because i had to play that mantra role because i felt i was violated at a young age so i just had a lot of things going on which i put which i brought on myself so I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I own up to my stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. So you got, it's just, I don't want no pity. I tell everybody, I'm telling you this to tell you how I live my, you know, how you live, how I live my life in the NBA. So that's what I meant. And, you know, like you said, the molestation, we've had other athletes on the show. Um, Kayla Harrison, who's a, a, you know, an Olympic gold medalist who had dealt with that with her coach yeah, growing up. There's yeah, other, we, we've seen yeah. more and more of this over the years. And I guess I just want to know yeah. from your perspective, what do we, what do we need to do yeah. to, um, to, wipe this out of you know both the sports world as well as other areas where young children are vulnerable to this type of behavior 
uh, guys like us, you know, come out on, you know, come out with it, you know, um, you know, tell our stories, you know, that's all I think would be the best thing, you know, tell our stories to, um, to, and that's why I did it. Cause a lot of yeah. these young kids don't have no, 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 no families or anything. They're just on drugs. Um, they're killing themselves, committing suicide. I did it. So they say, Hey, if Kenny Anderson did it, he was a professional athlete. He had fame. He did this. Why can't I get help early? So you got to prevent it early because we're all scared to come out. I held it for 30 something years. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I didn't want to do it. I was ashamed. That's the number one thing. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. It's our fault. No, it's not our fault. We just had, you know, some bad mental people is we got to stop the cycle. Those people that's molesting and raping kids and all of this, they've been molested and, 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 and abused their whole life. So it's a cycle. They didn't get no help. So we all have to get help. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned a little bit about the response to the film from some individuals, but like overall, like what's what's been the reaction and, and how gratifying has it been for you to see, uh, you know, people, you know, w- watching with interest as, as you've put your life out there on film? No, it's great. It's, it's not a vanilla documentary. It's a different type of, type of documentary. Mm-hmm. And I'm I, and that's what I wanted. You know, I think we created that. So hopefully, you know, Netflix supposed to look at it. Maybe they'll grab it up. And the whole world will see it. But I think the whole world should see it because I was a different, unique athlete. You know, I was that child prodigy. You know what I'm saying? At right. Eight, nine years old. And I, I, I was successful, period, on every level, college, pro and everything. And under the circumstances that I went through, I still was able to perform and play on a high level and compete and it's just interesting and some of my downfalls and mistakes are, or just normal life mistakes you know um two failed marriages um spending x amount of money um uh eight kids so it's just certain life things that i was going through and at the same time playing on the highest level the nba it's just i think kids especially in the city kids and kids that's uh that's going through problems and all that should definitely watch it. Even adults, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, and, and I think, uh, it's a, it's a positive documentary It's a raw documentary, but it's done classy though. You know? Yeah. And <laughs> how important was it for you to link up with a filmmaker? Um, you know, like Jill, who I, I believe she really understands New York and your connection to the city. Cause that's such an integral part of your story was how mm-hmm. you were, you know, you were the shining example of the New York point guard and, and the guy who was going to sort of break the mold. Yeah. How important was it for you to, to have people who yeah. understood your connection to New York uh, so that could come out on film? It was very big. Um, Jill wasn't really big director, but she worked well with me. I could have went with some big time director and everything and he would have toned it down and put this in there and say, I want to do this the way, you know, this the way we should do it, Kenny. And I wanted to be you know, I wanted to ch- chime in on my life story, my documentary, and she let me do that. And we yeah. put it together. And I think she did a hell of a job. We did a hell of a job together. And um, just, you know, we was raw with it, but not, you know, raw making mistakes because everybody makes say it couldn't be peachy cream. Nobody want to see a documentary that's pe- peachy cream. It's got to have some ups and downs and some realness about it. And I think my, my documentary was real and also it wasn't finished. The end is not finished. See, that, that's what really interests with my documentary. The end wasn't the end. It's still like I'm down here in Florida raising my kids, 
trying to, you know, get all my kids together, have relationships with my kids and living a very good life, a middle class life. After mm-hmm. everything that I've been through, I'm still surviving. I'm still trying to help others. So it's 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 a, it's a, it's, a, it's a bright side. Yeah, it's not ending on a dark note. And and you mentioned your kids, and 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 you know, I I believe you said you have you have eight children. How have you sort of embraced your role um, with with them? And 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 what what does being a father sort of mean to you now at this stage of of your life? Well, it's big. You know, I have. Um, you know, eight kids and I'm just trying to, uh, be in their lives and, uh, try to teach them the right way. Everything I experienced in life and try to help them, you know, maneuver through life. So they won't make the same mistakes, but you know, all your kids going to make mistakes. It's just life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they love me and just trying to, you know, four or five of them, three, no, four or five. I wasn't in their lives. Cause I was in the NBA. I was on the road and it was tough. And I was basically in my doc. I'd let you know, I was very selfish, you know, when mm-hmm. I was younger, I was too young to have kids, but I had kids. I had the finances to take care of them, but I wasn't in their life. So that was very tough to me. And it's still tough with me. And it's, you know, something I can't get back. I can't get back time, but all I can do is try to better myself to help them now. Yeah. Well, look, I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and we're super excited for my guy cigar club. So yeah. we will direct our, our listeners to check you out online, you know, uh, later this month and, and, and yeah. sign up. Yeah, no, that sign up, please. You know, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. You know, be on the lookout. The website hits this week. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. That's awesome. Hey, Kenny, thank you so much, especially making time this morning. I really, really appreciate it, man. My God. Thank you. Everything you got still won't come close. I came into this world with my back against the ropes. So watch this footwork. It's the robot. And we are back in the sports world. Athletes, coaches, media, they all have passions away from sports. And when they express them, they are shouted down by the masses who tell them, get back to working in sports. We say hogwash. Life is just work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate distractions by talking about what's been distracting us. Guys, I'm going to go first. We've been having a lot of talks with NBA writer Howard Beck, uh, arguably the best uh, NBA feature writer, about coming on the show to talk REM. And in, in prepping for that show, uh, I've been listening to a lot of REM. They are my favorite band, them or, or Jane's Addiction uh, or Victor Oladipo. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of up in the air. Huh. Um, but I, I wanted to point out a podcast that got me thinking it's it's the podcast called All Songs Considered. It's done by NPR. They kind of break down, they go deep with artists about the music they've created. And they had a they had uh, Mike Mills and uh, Michael Stipe on the show to talk about the 25th anniversary edition of Automatic for the People. And it was a really cool discussion. They actually, they played a couple of demos that showed how the songs actually kind of progressed and evolved in the studio. They talked to him about about Automatic for the People and, and just as its overall cultural legacy. And, our, you know, our younger listeners may or may not know the music, uh, but that is probably my most meaningful album ever. Uh, I got into it because I was going to high school in 1993 in the fall. And in middle school, all I listened to was like crappy pop and, you know, top 40 music of the day. 
you know, color me bad, Tony, 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 you know, it's like bull, just total bullshit. But I knew that when I was going to go to, I, I had to go to band camp and, and everyone's going to laugh at me, but our band was actually very good. Lots of kids that kind of went on to rock bands or Berkeley. And, you know, we, you know, we were, I knew that I had to bring music that would not just be a mixtape of, of, of hot 100 songs. And I grabbed automatic for the people out of my sister's bin. And I said, well, I like REM enough. I'll listen to this. And it really became my favorite, my favorite album of that era. And I listened to it over and over again. And it was just, it, it always is meaningful to me because it represents a turning point when I, when I stopped listening to music that was fed to me and I started thinking about music that I wanted to listen to in a more, I guess, not adult way, but in a, you know, hey, this is what my taste is and I don't care if it's popular or not. I don't care if people like it or not. I'm just going to listen to it. And it got me thinking, like, what is your most meaningful album? So I wanted to pose the question to the guys. Uh, Gareth, let's start with you. Like, what would you say is your most meaningful album to you not not necessarily your best album not the best like it's not a, a list no, in terms I, of overall it's like what what has the most personal connection and meaning to you right i get it and i love the distinctions of that i i think that one of the best parts of aging is starting to understand the difference between best and favorite um and and i always say like the best novel i've ever read is Moby Dick. My favorite novel is sometimes a great notion and the most meaningful, the one I think about the most and that means the most to me is infinite jest. So that's like, I get exactly what you're saying. And I love the distinction when it comes to albums. The most meaningful album to me is in the airplane over the sea by the neutral milk hotel. Um, <clears throat> what? It's a late nineties indie what? album. <laughs> what? It's, dude, it's this? not even close, Brad. It's not even <sighs> close. No, 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 guy. Look, the beauty of this album is is that it's like it's an indie album that seems pretentious. Blah blah blah. Oh, really? Yep. It's like, ju- <laughs> well, does it, bro? Friend of pod, friend of pod, Michael Schur made jokes about it on his little show Parks and Rec, where I believe it was called by Andy Dwyer as. But that album is weird and depressing and art. Um, so uh, I agree with Andy Dwyer and April Ludgate, who loves it. It's the most beautiful piece of music I've ever heard in my life. Um, it's amazing that it exists. Jeff Mangum kind of bounced around for years, taking acid and sleeping on his friend's couches until finally he got enough, enough money to record it in Georgia. It is a concept album about loosely based around the life of Anne Frank. And it is, oh, you laugh, but this it is, is made up, right? Like, yeah, we do. <laughs> this is made up. It's, <laughs> no, it's the real deal. Garrett, uh, Garrett, I, I'm, was, not to, I'm not trying to shit on your most meaningful album, but it kind of seems like a Mad Lib. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's it's loosely based on the life of Anne Frank. <laughs> Sorry, Kurt. Sorry, man. Continue. Ooh. No, no, it's quite all right. Uh, 
So yeah, that is my most meaningful album is Neutral Milk Hotels in the airplane <laughs> over the sea. Um, yep, not a Mad Lib at all right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. You've, you've kind oh. of set me. I think, uh, Garrett, I, I think I could, you're we having a link fever dream. A, yeah. <laughs> no, a, a there here on Pitchfork, there is a two part feature on the tenth anniversary of the album. Uh, Fuck. I'll I'll just leave this at that, and we will. Uh, Adam, what's your most meaningful album? I I honestly Shit, cannot I wait. Don't know. I cannot wait to punt it to Adam, who's gonna be like, "Yep, Snoop Dogg." <laughs> like murder was the case. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't. I don't know how to follow that. I will say the one that sticks out in my mind actually. Uh, it make. It was on Instagram the other day, and it's actually the twenty fourth anniversary of this album being re- released. But in nineteen November nineteen ninety three, Enter the Wu Tang parentheses thirty six chambers was released, and I remember being in uh, my parents' basement and watching um, BET Rap City and a video called The Mystery of Chess Boxing came on, which is from the album. And I thought that I had never heard or seen anything quite like the Wu-Tang Clan. I think if you look at the other acts at the time, this was at the height of Dr. Dre and Snoop on the West Coast, uh, Nas on the East Coast, the emergence of outcast in the South and then the Wu Tang clan, which is made up of nine guys, which sounds improbable right there. How do you have a rap group and make sure that all nine guys get their shine, but all of them went on to do on to have successful solo product projects. And I just thought that this album, um, the way it was produced, the insertion of, um, all these clips from old, kung fu movies it was the most it was the strangest and most inventive thing i had heard in my life musically at that point and it again kind of like you said brad it made me seek out uh other forms of hip-hop music that maybe i wasn't familiar with so uh yeah wu-tang clan also also based on the life and frank yeah yeah, I don't think they ever talked about <laughs> Anne Frank, but they had they had some they had uh Gareth. I don't, I'm not trying to laugh at your album. I just think it was the most that was the most Gareth pick ever. <laughs> you could not. Hey, have, come on, yeah, man. man! I'm on brand. I'm on, hey, on let brand. me put it this way, Gareth. You you are on brand. No, listen. I'm just as happy to look. 36 Chambers is all, like is on my phone to this day. That might be the most meaningful rap album to me. The first time I heard the Wu-Tang was I heard the it was I saw the Method Man video on the box if you remember yeah, that channel. Sure do. Um and similar to you Adam, I just thought to myself, I've never heard anything that sounds like this. Um and so, yeah, it's uh, it's almost like 
Yeah, I was trying to make a joke about the Wu Tang and the Neutral Milk Hotel, but yeah, check that album out. Neutral Milk Hotel, it's some shit for real. So. <laughs> All right, well, good choices. Those are our distractions. That's our show. Uh, let's end with some shout outs. I'm going to end with a shout out for Joe Reed, wherever you are. And if you have information on Joe Reed, let us know. Uh, uh, Gareth, any shout outs tonight? Yeah, shout out Jeff Mangum of the Neutral Milk Hotel. Thank you for not going crazy and making that album. I see you around town on occasion. I'll never bother you. Yeah, and shout out to uh, your wife for telling you that thing is looking worse. And I hope that you <laughs> continue to get better. Uh, Adam, any shout outs? Yeah, just one more interesting Wu-Tang fact. So Redman is another one of my big rap influences. He partnered with Method Man on quite a few projects and is considered an unofficial member of the Wu-Tang Clan, like Joe Reed is considered an unofficial member of Just Not Sports. Adam, real quick, favorite Redman album? Uh, Muddy Waters. I'm a Dare is a Dark Side guy. I also think that Time for Some Action should be on the list of greatest first album, first songs ever. It's on every workout playlist I have, my friend. Wait, I'm con- I'm legitimately go. confused. I'm not joking around. I thought Redman was in the Wu Tang Clan because he's he's with Method Man in How High, right? Yeah, yeah no, no, but he's from Jersey, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's in a, a he's a Wu Tang affiliate, as you might say, but not an official member. There are ten official members. I can name them if you'd like, but we got to get out of here. H- have you guys? Have you guys actually seen How High? Yes, twice. It's Three a, times. It's an unbelievable <laughs> um, achievement Lisa. in cinema. When when the ghost of Ben Franklin comes back and reveals that he invented the first bong, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, just un, truly unbelievable turn in cinematic history. Okay, Adam, <clears throat> speaking of stuff you just can't predict, who are your shout outs this week? Uh, well, shout out to Lisa Turtle in that movie, How High. The female oh, movie. yeah. Uh, nice. But nice. I'd like to give a shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, and my other cousin Ron. Any immortal words of rapper extraordinaire and sometimes basketball player Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers. Stay booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. A lot of people that are named after me. Shaquille. Shaq. But keep in mind, it's only one big Shaq. It is I, the originator, the dominator, the creator. Don't you ever call your name Big Shaq. Last man who called himself Superman still ain't got no rings. Roadman Shaq. Find me scraping the black card. I got a lake in the backyard. I got gators, got snakes in the backyard. Superman on a dock in the backyard. Even got a safe in the backyard. Got a Rory Bentley in the backyard.